Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I know you don't want to hear me. You're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's William Daniels, a.k.a. Mr. Feeney. Feeney? Feeney? Only reason why I'm making this quick intro is to give you a little heads up uh, about the audio. We did do this in a deli at William Daniels' request, and if... William Daniels wants to eat while we do this. I'm sure as hell not going to say no. Anyway, here we go. Yes, uh, <clears throat> let me, what, what do I want to say? Now I am alone. Oh, what a rogue, rogue, rogue and peasant slave am I. <laughs> you know, Isn't it monstrous that this, whatever. Anyway. That's perfect, because I was going to have you say something next, but I think we're <clears> okay. Well, I'm not going to. Uh, Go ahead. Everything is fine. Okay. In there. All right. We're live. Okay. <clears throat> we're good. All right. I actually... Okay, Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. <clears throat> I feel like I'm in the principal's office right now, except, <laughs> no, seriously, I feel like I'm in the principal's office right now, except this is the principal's office everyone my age wanted to sit in. Right. Yeah, so this is really, really cool. So I'm here with William Daniels and his beautiful wife, Bonnie Bartlett, Mrs. Daniels. Some of you may know him as Kit from Knight Rider. Everyone knows him as Mr. Feeney. That's and, right. And Dean Bolander from Boy Meets World. So this is really cool, guys. I, I appreciate you guys coming out here today to do this for me. And I just want to start from the very beginning with you. Like I just mentioned, you know, I'm from Brooklyn too. And I, I would love to hear what it was like growing up in Brooklyn for you. Well, um, we didn't spend that much time uh, in Brooklyn. My folks were anxious to move out to Long Island. So I would say I was there until I was about seven or eight, around in there, or maybe nine. I think a little older. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And uh, we moved out to... Um, Queens. Queens, and then out to Valley Stream. Yeah. Yeah. But what was... I remember you telling me stories about Brooklyn. Yeah. You, it was a very poor section. Yes. It's even poorer now. But it, it was uh, a section called East New York. You know that? I do. And uh, in those days it was, uh, I would call it working class. Uh, now I think it's been taken over by blacks. Uh, I haven't been there in a very long time. But it was a, it was a nice neighborhood then. Uh, so has it deteriorated? Huh? It, it has deteriorated, yeah, okay. yes. But then it was, as I say, uh, middle class, working people, my but father. mostly white? Hmm? Mostly white? Mostly white, yes. Uh, German, Italian, right. that kind of thing. Well, I'm sure that the blacks yeah. are also working class. Yes, I'm sure. I, I mean, I haven't been there in years, but <clears throat> at any rate, um, my mother was... Um, interested in uh, moving us 
she, how can you describe well, her? Well, she was obsessed with show business. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she, she had these kids, these yeah. two little kids, and she, yeah. she was very uh, talented herself. Yeah. She, uh, she used to read the paper to see anything about show business that she could find. And she read that um, there was this uh, columnist for the Daily Mirror by the name of Nick Kenny, and that he uh, uh, had a show for kids. So uh, she read when they would be auditioning for his, uh, it was radio in that time. And so uh, she brought my sister Jackie and I over to uh, Nick's brother who did the uh, auditioning, Charlie Kenny, and we got up in front of him and started tap dancing. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, this is, this is radio. Uh, tap dancing won't work on this. He said, if they sang, uh, that'd be different. She took us home, taught us a song. Brought us back because she had originally had built tap dancing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, yeah. when he was four, before he could count. Mm -hmm. So we went back and sang. He said, "Not in unison." You know, in harmony. Took us home, taught us harmony, <laughs> brought us back for the third third time. And she, he said, "Yeah, that's it." And so we got onto McKenney's show, which was a radio show, but also he ran a lot of, uh, what would you call that, when you go out and perform, um, you know, at the Elks Benefits. 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 The Elks Club, the this and that, you know, all, all over the place. place. And we did a number of those. He's been very sweet, and, but you know, actually it was terrible. I mean, he, you asked him about Brooklyn. He's told me a few little things about a little gang that was he, he was in, mm -hmm. and that he was in a gang. He was in a little. You were in gang. a gang. I tried very much to be in the gang. <laughs> I certainly didn't want them to know that I was a singing and dancing person. My life wouldn't be worth a penny. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I tried to be in it. You know, you, he goes with a knife, boom, 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 <laughs> as an initiation. So it, it was important for me to get into the gang. I mean, God, so they, they had no idea that I w was a performer, uh, and I kept that secret. And then the other story that I love is that, uh, you know, he wanted very much to play football. Because at the time, you know, he, was, he didn't grow up to be very big, but he's, he was a football player, and he wanted to play football, so they bought him the whole outfit. <laughs> but the only time he ever got to play was after a performance in, in NBC. So he goes over, they drop him off, the game's almost over. So I think all he did was appear. That was his football. <laughs> he appeared at the end of a game in a football uniform. So they felt not so guilty. Could I have the pepper and salt, please? Thank he you. he never, ever Thank you. got to do the things that kids do. Are you going to eat anything? You know? I'm okay for now. Oh, okay. Thank you. So that's what, uh, I, you know, he, they didn't realize that they were, their childhood was being taken away from them. They didn't realize that. They just did what their mother said. Yeah. They were not rebellious. 
kids, was, they did what they were supposed to do, and they were talented. But it was pressure for kids. And I think we were frightened, but we never really thought about it. You know, we just did as we were told. But it was not... Uh, it was not a childhood that I would recommend for anyone. Well, Newhall, at the time you went to, uh, who, Eddie Cantor was in front of you? Oh, God, yes. Uh, Eddie Cantor, you know the name? No, I don't. No. You don't know that name? He, no. He, isn't he, that fascinating? He was a he very was famous. A very, very famous. Do you know the name Al Jolson? No. No? You don't know that name? Oh, Bill, we're mm -hmm. in trouble. <laughs> we're in big trouble. Who are they? Anyway. It was like, um, let's see, who would it be? Who's a famous singer today? Oh, Ariana Grande. Uh, Any of those people. Like Justin Bieber. Yeah, people, people like, like that. that or, or comedians like... Uh, um, Kevin Hart. A comedian. Kevin Hart. Uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, any of those. They, they, were, they were huge vaudevillians. Oh, Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And yeah. everybody in the world knew them. Everybody knew Al Jolson did the first did the first movie that was uh, heard. What do you call oh, it? Oh, sound? He did the very really? first sound movie, Al Jolson. Oh, wow. So I may have heard that name because I remember taking a like, cinematography class in college and we actually watched like some of the first like motion pictures and first films with sound. So I probably heard the name before, but now that you, you mentioned it, it is ringing a bell. Mm -hmm. yeah, and with this whole black thing that we're going through now, which is great, we're all getting involved, um, Al Jolson put on blackface. Mm -hmm. He did actually put on blackface and did uh, performance. But my father, who is uh, long gone, who would have been, he born in 1900. My father saw Al Jolson. He was great. He was a great performer on Broadway theater, which is what we all come from. Uh -huh. And Bill comes was at the end of Vaudeville. He, really? He, he was performing at the very end of Broadway, and uh, he had to go after Eddie Cantor once, and Eddie Cantor was a wreck. Oh, where's my music? I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, because performers are like that. They're scared to death. He was, he, he was forced to come to it by a famous uh, writer. Uh, who had a column in the Daily Mirror and that guy he did whatever that guy said he didn't want a bad review in his column so uh, Eddie Cantor came and, and uh, he seemed very nervous he had this hat and everything and I remember seeing him saying, I don't know why I'm here, but I don't have my confidence and everything. And, you know, and I thought, that guy is scared. And if he's scared, what about you? <laughs> and it was the first time I verbalized to myself that, yes, my, me and my sister Jackie were always nervous about performing. 
you know, it's a, it's a pressure. You know, you, you, you did it. Yeah, I'm sorry, you said that you uh, had heard the audio book, Vision Yes. Yeah, okay. I would recommend to anybody that's interested in this kind of background to, to read Bill's book. Oh, for sure. Not the audio book. vision, but the book itself. You can get it on Amazon. And um, it's a good book. And it, it gives you all this background uh, of how he was as a kid and the fear, you know that he had to overcome in performing. It's, it's a good book. And nope. he, he told me once that when he was out tapping at these clubs and things that they took him to, he said, I I only looked, I wasn't, the audience didn't interest me at all. I just looked at my mother. If she was smiling, I was okay. If she wasn't she smiling. She was in the back, always in the back of the or auditorium. Or on the wings, in the wings. Hmm? Or in the wings. No, in the back. Always in, and he said if she, she was She wanted smiling, to watch the performance. Uh-huh. Well, you can from the wings too. But anyway, and if she was smiling, he was happy. And if she wasn't, he was very miserable. So, you know, that's not what we do today with our kids, do we? Yeah. We, we just say, oh, you're wonderful and everything. She never did that. She did nothing but criticism. So he carried, actually, a lot of anger into his growing up. And uh, what got him out of all of that was the Army. The Army is the best thing that ever happened to Bill. He always told me that. Mm -hmm. Really? Oh, God, yes. It was, you know, not being a performer, just being one of the guys I was drafted and um, sent to Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, there's a story there. At the time, I was doing a Broadway show called Life of Father, in which you had to dye your hair red, the kids. And you, do you know this story? I, yeah, because I, I heard the book. So. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't, then I won't bore you. No, 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 please. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the guy who was supposed to replace me if, if in a week or two before I was drafted, got sick out in Long Island someplace. So I wasn't able to get my hair dyed back to my natural color before I went for this physical. So I go to the physical with red hair. So they line us up and they say, strip. And this captain walks by, and he looks at me, he looks at the hair, he looks down there, he says, come with me. And I thought, oh, shit. Um, I go into his office, and he's, he puts his feet up on the, on the desk, and he looks at me. He says, let me guess. Life with father. I said, well, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> he said, wait till I tell the guys. Said, guys, he brought these guys in, uh, and there I am. How do you sit naked, casual, while these guys look at you and laugh, you know? You know, uh, uh, well, <laughs> it was a mess. And I was so glad when I was able to get that color back in my hair. But that was something. But, uh, you know, I, he was great. Uh, captain, let me guess. <laughs> so
So I got my hair back to my natural state. But anyway, he was happy to be in the army. Yes, he just loved I, I love being in the army. In the army. Uh, it was just a bunch of guys, some regular guys, and I made friends with them. A guy who was 35 years old, I was 18, and he just under the draft age, but he was like a mentor for me. During our, our yeah. training, we were sent to Little Rock, Arkansas, to Camp Joseph T. Camp Joseph T. Robinson. I'll never forget that. Big huts all the way down. Anyway, um, but you were barracks, sent to Italy. Extra, what? You were sent to Italy. Yes. Uh, how did that happen? Oh, I, uh, we were all uh, finished our basic training. We got on this bus. Now I've got pals that I've known all these 13 weeks of basic training. And uh, we're going to go up uh, to some place north of there. And uh, some guy comes on. Uh, I think he was like a lieutenant. And he says... Uh, Daniels, I say, yo, doesn't say anything, get in the car, the Jeep, uh, and he drives me, now we're in Italy, he drives me to this two-story house with a, a wall in front of it and an entrance, turned out it was, had been a Gestapo headquarters, but now it was the armed forces radio service. And I didn't know that I had a label besides my name of entertainment specialist because I'd been performing. So I go into this radio station and all these guys are there. Uh, there may be 12 and there are bedrooms and uh, in the back, a back, oh great, back uh, courtyard in the back with a bar in the back of the courtyard where they all boozed up. And pretty soon they were there all during the war, they left. And I found myself suddenly in, in charge of this place. So, uh, that's that's what we did. I you know. I remember I made deals with the quartermaster. Anything you want, like with, when your girlfriend wants to hear something, just call me. I'll um, I'll put it right on the air. And you know one of those big things of ice cream that you have? Could you send one over? I make deals like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was so happy to get away from his mother. You know, she cried and cried when he went off. But anyway, it was his way of getting away from her mm -hmm. because she controlled his life. Yeah. And when I got back, I had been advised by Howard Lindsay, who wrote Life's a Father, and who came in into the show when I was still in it, after having taken a year off to play around on Broadway for nine years. Anyway, uh, I asked him if I should go to the Academy of Dramatic Arts. He was making up in the mirror. He said, close the door. I went and I closed the door to his dressing room. I came back and he said, don't go there. He said, I'm on the board. 
don't go there. He says, what you do is you write the government for a school that has a theater department. Because you're going to get the GI Bill. Because I'm getting the GI Bill. And uh, that way you can pick out a school that has a good theater department and meantime you get a college education and uh, that'll be good. So I wrote the government and they sent back a list of colleges. Mind you, my parents never even finished high school. They didn't go to high school, they went. Uh -uh. His parents only went through the eighth grade. Yeah, they were put to work. Anyway. Which was not that uncommon in those days. So on this we're talking, list. Billy, we're in a, in a vacuum here. I mean, we're talking. Huh? It's really the um, generation gap is huge here. I mean, the, 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 you don't know the names of the people he's talking about. You, you're not aware of who they are. So it's a, like Howard Lindsay. These what are you were, talking about? I'm talking about the fact that they don't even know who Howard Lindsay is. They've mm -hmm. never heard of Life with Father. Oh. They've never heard of these things. They've heard of the Pope. He saw the Pope yeah. in Italy. <laughs> that Pope they've heard of. We were, yeah, we were soldiers in Italy. We went and I, I, I wanted to go down and get a a um, rosary blessed for my grandmother by the Pope. That would mean a great deal to her. Catholic. We were Catholics. And so I went down there and he, when he is going to he speak to you. Which and, Pope is this, Phil? Hmm? Which Pope? Pope Pius? Pope Pius, whatever the number he had was. Come, he had been in hiding mm -hmm. uh, during the war. Yeah. And he came... And I think he was a Nazi sympathizer, wasn't he? I don't know. You I don't forget. Know. Okay. Anyway. anyway, he came from his hiding place just because the war then was over and Bill was there. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. So anyway, uh, I had the rosary beads and you go up and you kneel in front of this railing and he goes by and he holds out his ring and people are kissing it. Well, I'm like my father. I worry about germs, and I thought, oh God, uh, let's see. So it came by, and I kind of went, you know. <laughs> but you got it blessed. But I got it blessed, and my grandmother was very happy with that. And uh, then I went back to Livorno, where the radio station was, and continued on. But what do you what do you want to have him talk more about the more recent things? No, no, no? whatever. No. It's it's okay. okay. Whatever he wants to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's no agenda. No, but That's... but uh, people can buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> buy the book. Uh, what's it called? Mm -hmm. How there I, I go again. There I go again. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. How I came to be Mr. Feeney, yeah. John Adams, Dr. Craig, and Kit, yeah, and many others. Yeah. All, all those. He was, you know, 1776, John Adams. And the thing is that a lot about the book, why it's called, it originally he wanted to call the book um, something about saying no. You know, something how it, but uh, 
the, the publishers didn't want that because of the saying no to drugs, saying no uh, with the sex thing, and you know. I they, didn't. They I, it I, I was up. put into show business. So uh, I was inclined to say no when something came, you know. He's I always said no to everything. Always. I said no. I said no to saying so, elsewhere. So he wanted to work, but he also would say no. You know what I mean? He wanted to make a living. <laughs> he, he didn't know how else to make a living. At a certain point, I was working and making good money. And <clears throat> and he he was not. And so he would... He didn't know what to do, and I said, well, why didn't you do something else, you know? Uh, something else you're interested in, you can go back to school and, and get, do something that you're interested in. And he said, no. It took him a while to figure out that what he did best was to be an actor. <laughs> it, he, he didn't want to be an actor, he didn't start out wanting to be an actor. But then he realized, well, this is something he was really good at, and so he kind of contented made made a peace with himself about acting what did you want to be I um, I, I toyed with the idea of becoming a doctor but couldn't stand blood so I, <laughs> that was a bad idea uh, uh, but I suddenly realized that was at one point that this is what I should be doing because I'm pretty good at it and so I dropped this other stuff and started to take the uh, the the business seriously although I don't think you ever took the business seriously. no you I just, know. you just you wanted to work you wanted to make money you wanted to support the family mm -hmm. yeah when we had a family and I couldn't didn't want to work, and he did. He Somebody did. sent me over to a producer, lady producer, and she said, why don't you go and take an acting class? And she recommended Lee Strasberg, who was... No, that was me. Hmm? That was me. You only went to Lee because of me. I thought You're it was Cheryl it. Crawford or somebody. No, 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 no. Madame Barbanel. But that, you went to Lee because of me. Because I'm the one that went to Lee. You didn't want to go to Lee. Bill didn't believe in teachers and things like that. He didn't believe in acting teachers. And you only went because of me. No, you're, you're mixing that story up with me. Oh, okay. But, but She's the night my Rider, walking memory. I think the Knight Rider stories are fun. The Knight Rider. Oh. How did you do Knight Rider? How did oh. you do that? Uh, I, I did uh, an hour, or maybe it was... An hour and a half show with that Bernadette Peters, Bernadette Peters, and uh, uh, the producer. Yeah, the producer. I can't remember his name. Well, it's in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. So, what am I talking about? Just the, how you have to, what you thought of Knight Rider when they gave it to you. This producer um, called me uh, after I'd worked with Bernadette for him. We had a couple of very funny scenes in the show. And he called me and said, Bill, I, and I have some script that I need an actor to shape for me because I'm going to New York to pitch the show. 
said, would you come and just read this? He said, it's just a couple of pages. I said, sure. So I went over and he handed me this script and I looked at it. I said, this is a car and it talks. Right. Okay, so I started reading. He said, could you make it like uh, Ma Bell? I said, no. And I started, how about, I said, would you just let me read it? You know. So, uh, you know, I read it uh, and I left. And about two or three weeks later, he said, Bill, we uh, sold this, the show, Night Rider. I said, oh, great. He said, well, we'd like you to do Kit. I said, well, you know, I'm doing uh, St. Elsewhere. So he said, we know that. It's the same network. They'll work around you. So I thought, well, you know, my agent said, Bill, you can't turn that down. But you didn't want to take Bill, Billy. No, I, I, I said, he no, Billy. He thought it was the silliest thing you no. ever Yeah, a lot of good I did with that. After the show premiered, a uh, a, a neighbor across the street walking down said, Hey, Bill, I like your show. And I didn't get... He just recognized my voice. So I couldn't hide. So I did it. Uh, this was another case of me saying no, 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 and all of that. We didn't realize. And yet, the very first thing I heard Bill's voice before I saw him, he heard my voice before he saw me. Kind of interesting because I w we were at Northwestern and I was we were freshmen. He had been in the army, but we were still freshmen together. And I'm sitting in the front, and I hear this voice back there, and it's like a weird accent, you know, some kind of an accent. And I thought, who is that phony accent, you know? Anyway, then I found out he was a head bit on Broadway. Well, that made me very excited, so I would follow him around and stuff. But it isn't. I didn't until, even know it. <laughs> it, it, it. And then, of course, he did. Uh, he did John Adams and did a lot of other stuff. But it wasn't until Knight Rider and uh, that we were became aware of how recognizable his voice was. Thank you. You know, yes. and it, 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 it surprised us. I mean, you don't know those things, you know. And even Mr. Feeney, I mean, you just, you don't know how recognizable and how iconic all of these things that Bill has done. We were unaware of it. Unaware of it. Now, he's still unaware of it, but I know it now. I'm, I'm, no, I'm right there with you. His voice, you can... If you were to speak and this room's making noise, you can point it out real quick and you know exactly who it is. Yes. So actually, I do want to talk about how you guys met. And like, how did he sweep you off your feet? Like, what was his, how did he get you? Well, <clears throat> I've just written about that. That's interesting, because I'm writing a book now. But, um... Let me tell him. You uh, can tell the first story. Okay. His side, her side, right? Yeah, but uh, she'll, she'll jump in. Uh, we were reading for a play. Erwin Shaw, Bury the Dead. Oh, God, I'm not a laugh in it. And, I, and you're in the classroom, and people are reading, and the guy who's going to direct it, the teacher, would call on your name, and you'd read this. And, you know, and I'm waiting, and I'm in the front row. She's way in the back. 
and I hear one guy read, another guy read, oh my God, I don't know if I want to be in this turkey. And then they said, Bonnie, and I heard this voice, which was an actor's voice, the first one I've heard in that damn classroom, an actor's voice. So I turned around, and there's this blonde. So I waited at the door when we were dismissed, and I said to her, how about a cup of coffee? And she said, you're too short. <laughs> I said, come on, have a cup of coffee. She said, okay. <laughs> that was that. And we went out and had coffee, and we've been together ever since. End of story. <laughs> no, he, he was... Uh... He was very, very sweet to me, and I, I had, which I'm not going to go into too much, but I had kind of a low self-image, and so I was surprised that he was interested in me. He started calling me and going places and acting as if I was a perfectly fine person, and he would, uh, he would sing to me. We'd be having hamburgers someplace, or something, and he'd sit there and he'd sing all the Frank Sinatra songs. He was very good at it. He loved Sinatra. He loved Sinatra songs. So he he didn't tell me anything. He didn't speak, but he sang. So that's how. And he was very very um, attentive, very sweet, and uh, that's sort of the way things developed. What was your go-to Sinatra song for her? What's that? What was your go-to Sinatra song for her? Sinatra song? Oh. I don't know. What was I singing? You sang uh, all of those songs. I can't remember. And then he always had a lot of little ditties. Ditties that he sang from, from his childhood. If I had a nickel, I'd tell you what I'd do. <sighs> I'd spend it all on candy and give it all to you. Little, little That's how much I love you, baby. <laughs> That's how much I love you, dear. I used to sing those songs to her. <laughs> but the Sinatra songs. It was yeah. my way of courting her. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. That was the courtship. That's so cute. And it was very slow. I mean, he wasn't aggressive at all. He was not aggressive. Now, I remember reading, well, listening to the book, and he was mentioning a story actually with you that you said this joke about a couple on their wedding night. <laughs> that was our first date. <laughs> what? Our first date. And I didn't understand it. Remember when I told that joke? Oh, God, yes. It was a terrible joke. What joke was it? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, no. come on. No, no. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. It's, it's tacky. It's really and ugly. She didn't really understand that it was a dirty joke. And I... I, you know, a couple up here, a couple down there, dripping down, uh, you know. <laughs> she just didn't get it. And I thought, oh my God. And she's telling this joke. Well, it's very strange, because I had a very strange upbringing, which I'm writing about in my book. So that, in one way, I was very, very much ahead in that area, and in other ways, I was totally stupid totally stupid. I had a double thing going on. That's because of my upbringing, which will be in my book. When is your book coming out? Well, probably in about a year. Probably in about a year. And um, totally, let me put it this way, we were both abused because that's abuse what his mother did. That's abuse to take away a child's 
make them work, make them, we're, we're not supposed to make children work. And uh, she took all the money. He didn't get any of the money. And uh, that's, that's, we have laws against that now. But, uh, and I understand, it was the Depression, and they, his dad was a bricklayer. Is there in the book uh, about me as growing up a, a lyric and being in the back of the car driving home and everything's very silent, my father's driving, my sister's next to me, and I had blown the lyric. And so she said, uh, she's up in the driver's, uh, next to the driver. So her, her head is, um, she's not even looking at me. And she said, um, because I blew the lyric, she said, uh, sing it. So uh, she, my sister and I, we sang it. And she went to my father, da 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 da. Oh, that's what she did. She said, da 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 da. She sang it. And then she said, sing it. So I sang it right this time. So she turned to my father driving and said, what's so hard about that? And that's the kind of stuff we got with, from my mother, who was very tough that way. She never really ever complimented us. Uh, something about getting a swell head or something like that. No, but you know, so in the sense, I've just been thinking about this lately, but in the sense we were both mine in a different way, but with my father, his mother, we're both abused, differently, but abused. And uh, maybe that's why we kind of understand each other. Maybe that's part of, part of why we understand each other and have been together so long. Because we, we tolerate each other. You know, we tolerate each other. Living together is hard, and you do have to learn to tolerate each other. You know, because it's not not easy. But anyway, that's that. But he has been. Are you married? I'm not. No. He's good, been fun. Good guy. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yes. <laughs> but you guys have been married 57 years, right? 70. 70. 61? We were in 51. Oh, 51, I'm sorry. 51, oh, right after You can't college. believe everything you see on the internet then. Yeah, <laughs> that's why, that's why, you know, we don't know the same people. I wouldn't, I don't under, I don't know any of the names of the people now who are really, mm. you know, uh, the singers or anything. Like, I, I don't know any of that. Oh, you're better off. You're better, you're off. better off. The way it is now, you're better off. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, people are famous for no reason now. That's that's a good point. You're right. What? People are famous for no reason. Yeah. I mean, who are these people? Who are the Kardashians? Who are all these people? Exactly. What, what is that all about? Some of them don't even sing. They, they don't yell. Do they don't do anything. They don't act. They don't do anything. You could just become famous. Because of your phone. You just take a quick video. 300 million people watch it and then all of a sudden you're on TV you're making millions of dollars yeah. so Crazy. it's time it nothing to do with talent yeah that's that's sad now it's the, the 
you know what what I at the end of the book I just realized the other day at the end of the book I'm going to put make a list or something of all the wonderful performances I've seen you know that I have been privileged to see and how it affected my whole life and my whole working life I mean like a Yulanova who is a great ballet dancer or you know, John Gilgood, The Ages of Man, things like that. I'm going to make a whole list. Udaha, people that really, a performance that I saw that really influenced me. It's a little bit similar to the, what the kids write about Bill and Mr. Feeney. When they say, the letters he gets from people who say, I'm a teacher because of you, or you're, you got, he got a letter from a little girl She's 31 now, who had been trafficked by, by adoptive parents. And she said that all during that time of growing up and being this little girl who was given to anybody that could pay for her, and she said, I watched Boy Meets World, and it was so nice to know that there, were, there, were, there was a man like you out there, a nice man. Well, I tell you, that really blows my mind when we get something like this. I mean, uh, he gets amazing letters. Amazing letters. That Mr. Feeney affected people. It's just amazing how effective it was. And you know, God, there again. to Michael Jacobs who wrote it. Yeah. Michael Jacobs wrote it. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, when I was given this script with the offer to do the part, I looked and it said, Feeney, that's a strange name, you know, and he's a teacher. So I said no. And then Michael Jacobs, producer, uh, let be known that he'd like to meet me after I had said no. So I went and met him. He said, uh, why, why did you turn it? I said, Feeney, that sounds like you're going to make it fun of that name. And uh, and I respect teachers a lot. They're totally underpaid. And, and that's why I said no. He said, well, let me explain to you that I based Mr. Feeney on a high school teacher that I had who became a mentor of mine. And he will only be, this part will only be treated with him in mind, with great respect. So I said, oh, well, all right. You know, I didn't think the show would go anyway. <laughs> but, uh, so I did it. That was a surprise. We didn't think that no. the show would go. No, no. Seven years later. Yeah, and you yeah. know, the thing about that show, it's, it's genuinely funny, because I just watched some of it, uh -huh. like, this weekend. And it's like little things, like what, what Ben Savage would say. You know, like uh, when you, when you, I think it might have been the first episode where he's listening to the Phillies game and then you say, oh, you're listening to the game? He's like, no, it's my hearing aid. You know, stuff like that. It's just even 25 years later or whatever it is, it's still hilarious. You know, and it's like things like that. The entire series is filled with moments like that. that I can, I'm 28 now and I still enjoy watching it. That's you know, great. and it's, it's, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so much I want to get into with that. Like, I have chills now. It's like just thinking about it. It's, like, it's, it's really, it's, 
it's one of those things, and I'll, I'll be completely honest, if you want to make a Mount Rushmore of 90s television, it's like Bart Simpson, Roseanne, you know, Beavis and Butthead, and Mr. Feeney. Realistically, you know, everyone know everyone my age yeah. knows who Mr. Feeney is. That's how much impact he's had in media and television. So it's it's one of those things where it's it's for me personally right now. Like I'm I'm a little kid. I'm eight years old sitting here in front of you guys. You know, and it's, I'm fanboying out. I'm trying to keep my composure. You know, and it's I remember watching it growing up, and it's it's one of those shows that I'll probably show my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of those shows that's that nice. that's gonna be around forever, and it's it's one of those shows that still have, you know, people on the internet. Oh, I wish they would remake it. They did with Girl Meets World, but it's it's not the same thing. No. So. You know, it's, a- it's not, and it's it's like those things where people still talk about it and they still write about it, and it's one of those series that's gonna be around. I mean, it's on Hulu, I think. Yes. Uh, Hulu, and it's syndicated all the time. Oh yeah. So and it's, you can't you can't go far without seeing Mr. Feeney somewhere on the internet. Right. You know, so sure, it's sure. it's really really cool. So I mean, I do want to get into that. So I remember in the book you were mentioning, um, it wasn't easy being on set. You dealt with a lot of difficulties on the set. Say that again. Did you deal with difficulties on the set of Boy Meets World? No. Um, first of all, they were young kids. And they kept drawing during the, during the show, <laughs> till fi- till finally one of them drove in in a truck. What's happening? Did you do my car? Okay. He's gonna put money in the car, meter for your car. Oh. You sure? Okay. It's okay. No, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Okay. So what was I saying? Um, uh, the kids were growing up on the show. Oh yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm serious about the work, and they were just kids, and they'd be playing around and and then shoot and make mistakes and laugh and doing all that. I get I would be embarrassed if I made a mistake, you know. So I'd stay in my de- dressing room while we're rehearsing, and I'd only come out to shoot. Uh, so uh, it isn't that I didn't like them. It's just that I'm I approach the work differently than they do, and it's because I was older, and so I knew that I had to separate myself to concentrate upon what I was going to do. And uh, the kids can laugh and carry on and even screw up a take or two. It didn't matter. They were nice kids, and. Uh, in my heart, I was wishing them well in this business, which is very rough business, you know. I like this fruit. Anyway. Yeah. I just come out for my my scenes. And uh, they grew up on the show. We did it for I don't know how many seasons. and uh, And I always got along with them. It's just I knew that I had to be separated because they approach the work differently than I do. Mm-hmm. So. Do you have any particular moments? Like, what, what's your favorite moment from that series? Probably the last moment of the show. Yeah. I, 
I was just talking to him about this today. Oh, like really? it's, yeah. Because um like I have chills again. Because it's <laughs> one of those things where you grow up watching the show and it's one of those performances that again, like I said, gives you chills and it makes your eyes water. Because you grew, I mean you kinda grew up with these kids too, you know, and it's like, oh man, he's dismissing me and like you know, yeah, so right. You know. Yeah. So going back to that day actually, what was it like on set? Well, uh they leave the room and I stand there alone. And quite frankly, I was moved by the moment, uh, the way he wrote it, when I think I said, uh, I love you all. Uh, so I was moved myself. And it was an easy moment to do, you know. And it was a good moment, uh, effective moment. And that was, uh, that was the end of the show. So when he said cut, huh? when he said cut after that last scene, what did you guys do? What was it like? Oh, I don't recall. No, okay. no, I don't recall. That's a that's a that's a heavy performance. You know, that's something very few series have. Like a genuine, like you can see the emotion in yeah, everybody's yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. one of those situations yeah. where not many series yeah. have. Well, that was Michael. He wrote it. And Michael Jacobs. Now, had you said no? to the role had he because he revised the role for Mr. Feeney right he rewrote it in 24 hours for you huh he rewrote the role of Mr. Feeney in 24 hours for you because yep. you didn't originally like oh, it oh yeah do you have any idea who would have been Mr. Feeney if you said no I have no idea no well, thank god you I said don't, yes. he never told me who who was up for it, uh, for the role I never met anybody uh, and uh I didn't have to audition for him. Really? No. Oh, wow. He just offered me the part. Uh, and as I said, I had reservations until he told me how he was going to be respectful of this teacher. Because I thought, Feeney sounds like a funny name, you know. I didn't want them making fun of a teacher, and I didn't want to play that role. But I never did. Because he didn't write it that way. He wrote it with a lot of respect. Uh, it was a very pleasant experience for me. Uh, and I've been lucky that way. St. Elsewhere was a lovely experience with all these wonderful actors. Uh, it was such a good show that the people, actors in town wanted to be on it. So we'd have guests who were very good. And uh, it was a very respectful show. Which one? Uh, St. Elsewhere. Oh, yeah. That was so much fun. Mm hmm And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a teacher to smoke because the joke was that I said I got my stop, uh, my uh, wife to stop smoking. I went out on the front lawn and I said she smokes and she shouldn't smoke. It's not bad for her. And then... By God, she stopped. That was the, and then of course the next scene, I go to the bathroom at a, at a dinner, in a restaurant, and she opens a purse and stakes out a cigarette and smokes. Well, she doesn't smoke, so I had to teach her how to smoke. You don't go, you know, don't do that. Just kind of let it out. <laughs> she couldn't inhale it at all. So I had to teach her how. Fortunately, I thought the best thing is 
take out the cigarette, tap it on your finger, and put it in your mouth and start to light it, and let's hope they say cut. <laughs> <laughs> So, what are we talking about? Well, he just, we kind of covered Boy Meets World. Okay. Uh, yeah. He just got into St. Elsewhere. But the other thing that was, I think is really cool for both of you guys, is you just somehow wound up getting married on your shows multiple times. So, you, it was uh, obviously Boy Meets World. And was it St. Elsewhere that you guys got married? Yeah. So, how does that work? Does, do they deliberately write the roles for you guys? Or it's just no, like, no. hey, you're really married to her, she's an well, actress. Once they Let's... put me on the show in St. Elsewhere, then they wrote for us. But they didn't intend to. Oh, wow. No. It was not an intention, it's just that the, no. the, it worked very well. They saw that it could work very well and they put us, Yeah. and they wrote me on, wrote me on. Mm -hmm. Bill was one of the leads, mm -hmm. you know. They, they brought me on and I got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. It was very, very good. Yeah, okay. And um, Boy Meets World, I think Michael just put me on by them. I was available and he just put me on that last year. Uh, of Boy Meets World, I think it was the last year. Mm -hmm. But I was, see, I was on another show, uh, uh, Little House in the Prime, and that's another show that's going on forever. And people watch it, and they, I get fan mail, and they want, you know, a picture of me from Grace, from, uh, that's my granddaughter's name, Grace. Um, but Grace, that was my character. And that was, uh, Michael Landon. Yeah, but she, people adore that. The name Michael does come up in our life. One of our sons is Michael. Mm -hmm. Michael Landon, mm -hmm. Michael Jacobs. Mm -hmm. um, have we mentioned Tom Fontana? He no. was the main writer on St. Elsewhere. He remains a good friend. Yeah. And he was, uh, he's a marvelous writer. He's done a lot of shows. I'm sure you've seen some of his shows. Uh, the police is a... What? What are the names of some of Tom Fontana's shows? I guess I can't remember them right now. Oh, uh... Prison show, a big prison show. Uh, something in the streets? Yeah. And then... I forget, I forget the name of it. Is it Baltimore? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful writer. Mm -hmm. And good friend. And remains a friend. We see him when we go to New York. So, so what? Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay. we've been around a long time. But it's good to talk to you. And it's, it's, it's very, um, as I say, a generational gap, you know. Well, we see it with our grandchildren, of course. I've been on a couple of shows that they, I get points for, like Better Call Saul. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the uh, little things, and then and the Key and Peele. I was on that. Those are wonderful guys. And then there was another. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Parks and Recreation. Amy Poehler. Oh yeah. So those, I, I get points for being on those shows. <laughs> characters that, that that are going to stay around forever and the shows that are still on TV today. So, actually, I do have... I, I was able to scour on the internet for some fan questions that I'd like to ask you guys. Sure. And some of my own that I'm just curious about. Mm -hmm. um, so let me pause there. So I, I do have some questions. Uh -huh. um, one of them is, what books have you gifted the most to other people and why? Excuse me? What books? Yeah, what books have you gifted the most to other people? your own. <laughs> no. no. He hasn't. Uh -uh. 
If you don't have an answer, that's okay. Yeah. If, if that's uh, one of those. Mostly, I uh, I buy books for Bonnie. But uh, you know, well, one I of know, the le- he was a big one she reading now is called Becoming, by uh, Michelle Obama. Michelle Great Obama. Book. Great book. Yeah. Great book. I bought that for her. I buy books for her. Yeah. No, but you know what? I, I I'll answer that for the kids. What is the the the, uh, <coughs> the the dog, the show, the, the book about the dog. You love that. You gave that to everybody. You know the little. It's a very. I can't come up with the name. I was going to say peepers. It's about the dog. What's the dog's name? The little dog in the house. Snoopy. Snoopy. <laughs> Bill, Bill adored Snoopy, and he always said, "I." The, he he, the lead. Boy, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yeah. He said, I'm Charlie Brown with a cloud over the head. He really identified with that. <laughs> he identified with that very much. And he was always buying Snoopy for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I was not expecting that at all. No. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, I love that. He really loved that. How has failure or apparent failure set you up for future success? Say that again. How has failure or apparent failure set you up for future success? That I offer what? How has failure, any failures you've had, set you up for future success? It may seem like a setback. Future right? what? I can answer success. That. I can answer that. What? He did a play, Daphne and Cottage D, which was a big flop, but he learned so much from it because he had so much trouble with the leading lady that right afterwards, he got 1776, and he was on top of it, all the way on top of it. So that, learning from that <coughs> play, <coughs> excuse me, did, I think, the experience <coughs> of that difficulty. The actress was very difficult, and uh, it was a two char- it was a two character play. So uh, <clears throat> I learned to have to deal with her. And, it gave him a feeling, I think, <coughs> that he could do anything. <coughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I needn't mention her name, but <clears throat> she was the kind of uh, <clears throat> actress who would <clears throat> improvise during a performance and not let you know that was going to be there uh, until I learned when she carried on and on while I stood there. I left her, I sat down, I stage right took a cigarette and lit it and she and smoked it literally smoked it and she was still talking improvising and then I finished it and I got up and I walked over to the door and as I got there she gave the line that was written so that she was back on it but she got the message she was very confused that I was not going to stand there 
while she did this improvisation that nobody had ever heard before. So uh, that worked out well, and I, it, uh, it, it taught me uh, something, that play. There was something about it that made me be, bring more of myself That's right. That's to the right. part than I ever had before. Right, exactly, exactly. exactly. <clears throat> I write about that in my book, because that, that's right. And so, and then by the time you got to Mr. St. Elsewhere and Mr. Feeney, television, Bill, I think Bill found his media in television. He loved the theater, but it's, it's a killer. It's a killer. But television has been so, and we looked down on it when we were younger, you know, theater and film, stuff. And we looked down on television, and it has been a wonderful medium for Bill. Wonderful medium for Bill. And he likes working the day hours, you know. Well, <clears throat> you know, I did 1776 too long, for two years. Two years and two months. That's eight a week. That's a lot of work. And it was a big part. The biggest part in the play. He never left the stage. People would leave the stage and come back and I could smell tea on their breath. And I thought, boy, what I would do for a glass of tea right now. <coughs> but I stayed in it too long and it was one of the things that led me to come out here and stay here because eight a week is tough and two years nobody does that anymore it's ridiculous they play two to four months and they're out and I would have been better off if I'd done that but I was making the money and I needed the money so I did it yep. next question awesome so what what's an unusual habit you have or an absurd thing you love unusual habit to what that you have, or an, a weird thing that you love? Uh, an unusual habit that I have? If I know what I'm going to uh, meet, say, in an hour or that day, I'll often practice what I was going to say. And I think it's part of my training as an actor, you know, you 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 practice it until you perform. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I'm I'm always performing. Really, that's all I know how to do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He will practice what he's going to say to somebody. Now he doesn't know yeah. today, for instance. But if he knows what he will practice it. Yeah. Even, not not just not a part. Just that he knows he's going to meet somebody about something, and he'll practice something that he's going to say. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I do the same thing. Honestly. Do you? <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> it's so weird. I, I like I've done this in my head all weekend. <laughs> like, I was going to say, and it's right. it never comes out how I want it. But um, what about you? Do you have any a weird weird habit? A weird habit or something that's unusual that you love? Well, something that's unusual. I still go. I still like it this morning. I took a bar. I still go to ballet class. I'm 89. Really? Wow. And uh, I'm always the oldest one everywhere now. But uh, I still love that. I love going to the bar. It's so good for my body. It makes me feel so good. She's been it going to ballet class ever since I've known her. Yeah. Wow, that yeah, long. Wow. I have. It's, it's really been a really part of I mean, my I life. Know. You know what I mean? A strong part of my life. Yeah. 
I, I'll go until I can't stand up anymore. But as long as I can hold on to the bar, I can't go out on the floor anymore. It's been part of my life since my 20s. That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Another one. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do to get back on track? Overwhelmed or unfocused? Hmm. That's tough. I don't you know. Have a, I don't you know. Have, we have, we both have. I have a, a loss of words, vocabulary, which is very uh, difficult when you're trying to write something. But he has a short term memory loss. He has mm -hmm. short term memory yeah. loss. Comes with age. You know? mm -hmm. So he'll forget. He'll say, What is it we're supposed to do today? Or, or is it Monday or Friday? I mean, you know, he has a sh some memory loss. It's very hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard for him because when you lose a, a, a mental facility, a mental thing, it's scary. Much worse than a physical thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's scary because you don't know what to do. All you can do is keep going. Okay, this is one that I'm really curious about. So, if you can have a gigantic billboard anywhere. A, a gigantic what? Billboard? Billboard. What would it say? <laughs> Your message for the people. What would you oh, want to say? Oh, a message yeah. for the people. Probably the... Oh. Uh, the, 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 those last words in St. Elsewhere. Yeah, not in St. Uh, Elsewhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, do well, good. Do good. Work hard. Was it? Do good. Work hard. And something else. Do good was last. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I would look it up it's and that's book. what I would it's, say. Yeah, it is. It's, it's and it's all book. over the internet. So if you want to know what it says, you but can you know what? It. He is very, very, very very upset politically with what's going on and uh, he would probably say shoot Trump <laughs> you know what I mean he's just really really he watches the news MSNBC and we try to watch other stuff too but he is horrified by that man horrified I, I have this he adored Obama yes I have this uh, fantasy of meeting Trump and I know he's a racist, a liar, and a con man. And I would say to him, do you know how far superior your predecessor, a black man, in terms of honesty, intelligence, and empathy? And behavior. That's what I'd say and to behavior. him. And behavior. Because I, I really can't bear Mr. Trump and why we had to wind up with him. And if we elect him again, I'll just, I don't know. Uh, anyway. No, we're, we're obsessed with it. Yeah, I, 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 I have a, a book I'm reading on, on Obama because for me, he was my hero. He was a great, uh, a great president, uh, right up there with FDR. And yet he couldn't get anything done. And yet he had a Congress and Mitch McConnell, or Con Mitch McConnell, who opposed him on every one of his initiatives when he came into office. Every single one of them, McConnell did. I'll never forgive that man, Matt. 
but he stuck it out, and uh, I think he was a good president. As good as he could be, he was as good as he yeah, could be. <clears throat> that's right, sure. But I highly recommend Michelle's book, too. Well, Obama's written some wonderful books, but I, uh, for, for a woman, it was wonderful to read her book. Wonderful. Okay, so last one from me. This is, these are my own questions that I'm yeah, just right. curious about, but uh, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? If you were to meet your 30-year-old self right now, what would you say to him? Be kinder. <laughs> Be kinder than me. <laughs> Be kinder. Yeah, I suppose that's uh, He's such a good guy that I <clears throat> haven't felt I need to tell him anything. No, you. Hmm? You. What? He wants to know what you advice you would give to yourself at 30. Oh, myself? At 30. I said be kinder. <laughs> 30 advice. <clears throat> Probably <clears throat> find another profession. <laughs> at, that, at 30, he would have, yeah. <laughs> I had a hard time getting arrested at 30. Uh, it wasn't until the zoo story of Edward Albee's that I got kind That was of a great known. play. You, are you familiar with it? The no. zoo story? Edward Albee's first play. It, and it's a brilliant play and a two-character play yeah. and a groundbreaking. It, it was the beginning of the conversation about the haves and the have-nots. Okay. Mm -hmm. The beginning of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it was Edward Albee, zoo story. They, all over the world it played and people absolutely responded to it. The response has been amazing. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I wondered about it because I, it was one of those cases where you don't know if how this little play of two men is going to be um, received. And I thought, you know, this guy sits on a bench and the guy comes by and I'm reading and he says, over my shoulder, I've been to the zoo. Which, by the way, that would be great on the billboard. I've been to the zoo, because it means a lot now. Yeah. So, At his age, yeah. I've been to the zoo. Anyway, he says, I've been to the zoo. And all I did was look up, and the audience broke up laughing. And I thought, well, what do I do? Well, is he talking to me? And I looked over this way. Another big laugh. And then I realized, you know, you're sitting on the bench, he does all the talking. But the audience is seeing him through me. They're identifying with me, with, with some stranger that they're afraid is going to interrupt them in some way in a city, you know, all of that. And it worked that way. I played it in Argentina. I played it everywhere. Uh, you know, today, yeah. it would be relevant to cast that with Somebody like Bill, you know, you know much and a black guy. Yeah. That would be very relevant to do mm -hmm. it that way. He didn't do it that way, but that was in what? Yeah. 
50-something, or 60, early 60s. I, I forget. It was before Mike, so it's about 1960, something mm -hmm. like Yeah. But today, that would that would be a very relevant casting. Oh, for sure. It'd be huge. Yeah, it'd be huge. Yeah. It was an important play for me because it kind of put me on the map. I've won some awards and things like that. Uh, and and I think, the, the, you know, everybody came to see it. Uh, yes. The just everybody. I mean, all the biggest people, Lawrence Olivier was there. I remember the I stage manager. You know I know that hey, name. Hey, Lawrence <laughs> Olivier, he knows. What's that? Lawrence Olivier, he knows that name. He came. <laughs> Yeah, Kazan, and the stage manager would Kazan, always run back and say, I don't know that one, great no. Director, great the uh, stage manager would come back and you're dressing up, he saw who's coming in, and he'd run back and tell me who's there. When he said Lawrence Olivier, I said, please, do not come back and tell me who's going to be in the audience, okay? Please, it make me nervous. <clears throat> but everybody came to see that play. It's a, it's a, it's a one. They should be showing that. They, somebody should be doing a production of that right now. It's a one act play. Yeah. Should be done, mm -hmm. and it could have been a wonderful yeah. film. Not right. I'm so sorry that we don't have any record of it. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it, especially if they made it now. It sounds yeah. like it would be like one of those big yeah. hits on if it was on Broadway or something. It definitely right. sell out every night. So as as we we start closing down now, I have questions from your fans okay. that uh, from Reddit. So this one, this one's from the jealous one. He wants to know which Feeny call was your favorite. Which what Feeny call? What Eric has to do? Huh? Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Feeny, Feeny, Feeny. I don't know. Feeny. Yeah. Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. So, this one's Odyssey 609. Did you intentionally bring some of your Mr. Feeney wisdom when you played a character with a short arc on Grey's Anatomy? That part played a pivotal role for other characters who needed wisdom to grow, like what you did for Boy Meets World. So they just want to know if you brought any of that, I guess, wisdom from Mr. Feeney into that role on Grey's Anatomy. You brought more of him. As time went on, he became more, using himself and his changes, his growth, mm -hmm. his own wisdom became part of those parts. Mm -hmm. I barely remember Grey's Anatomy. Oh, it was fun with, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, I'm blanking now. <laughs> um, she just won an award. Academy Award or something. Uh -huh. I don't remember her name. Anyway, okay. she was wonderful. She was up. And you two were very good together. Yeah, you were. They were very they good were. together. She was she was tough and you put her down. You you, you made her Who was that? Sandra O. Yes. That sounds familiar, yeah. So this one's from Bowl of Soup One. Did you teach any of the kids uh, outside of the show? I, Boy Meets World. Did you teach any of the kids wisdom outside of the show that ended up on the show? No, I would not t uh, give them any kind of advice. No, I didn't want to uh, interfere with what they were doing. Uh, he 
treated them like equals. You know, they're you know, they're, they're playing, they're doing a grown-up job. Yeah, and that's the way you treat them. And I stayed away from that. I, I I thought it would be a mistake that it would change my relationship with them if I started coaching them or making suggestions. I never made anything like that. I stayed away from that. I was just the actor, and they were the actors. So I think that was the wise thing to do. This one's from Veghead25. Did you feel more emotionally connected with the Mr. Feeney character than other characters you've played? More connected with? I don't think well, so. At that time in your life, see, when he was uh, John Adams, he was very much like that. He was angry, he was uh, tough, he was biting, he was funny, he was very much like that. And then even when he was uh, Dr. Craig, in life. So yes, in life, by the time he played Mr. Feeney, he was a much different man by the time he played Mr. Feeney. So yeah, that was him. That was pretty much him at that time. Yes. Yeah. At the time, John Adams. Well, I think like what that. you learn. Uh, when I read 1776, I said, Billy, this is a part that's been written for you. John Adams was somebody that has been written for you. What I've learned is uh, it's, it's smart if you can bring as much of yourself to the part that is adaptable in the part and acceptable acceptable in terms of the part, in terms of acceptable of the play, if you can bring that much of you, that will help make it more believable and real. From Religious Grandpa, mm -hmm. would you change anything about your portrayal of the Mr. Feeney character if you could do it all over again? If I knew what? Would you change anything about the way you portrayed Mr. Feeney if you can do it all over again? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. No. So, yeah, you should, the way it came no. across was exactly no. <laughs> from the series. Yeah. And uh, PST 15, what's the biggest difference or challenge working on Broadway versus television? And he wants you to know that your performance as John Adams in 1776 was an inspiration to his whole family. Who was that? Uh, some guy, <laughs> PST 15. Uh, say it again because I'm. I had an idea in mind. Read it again. So what's the biggest difference or challenge working on Broadway versus television? Yeah, well, on Broadway, you're repeating. You're repeating the, your part uh, eight times a week. And what you need to do is try to stay open to any idea or inspiration you might have that might be different from the night before. Uh, it'll keep it fresh for you and your and your mind and in your and in your acting. So uh, it'll keep you from getting bored with the repetition. If you can find something like that, uh, in television, just get to do it once. So if you're playing a role, you know the the dialogue changes with each episode, so it's a whole different matter than repeating eight a week on Broadway and kind of trying to keep it fresh, so it shouldn't get to be rote, uh, different attack, but different 
you know, you find little different ways of, uh, of doing it. Uh, when I worked with Howard De Silva, who played Franklin, he, he was a bad boy on stage. So he, he would sit down in his chair there and I'd be carrying on and everything. And then he'd fall asleep, you know, so I'd ignore that. I knew he wasn't asleep. Uh, but when he started to snore, then I walked over with my cane and went bang on his chair. And he, I said, and then I went on. <laughs> he was a bad boy. We got along fine. <laughs> yeah, snoring, God almighty. So the last thing, we're, we're done with the questions, but the last thing I want to share with you is so you can see that, and I, I know you already know this, but the impact you've had on my generation, there's two people that they, what they wrote caught my eye, and I wanted to share this with you. This is going back to Odyssey 609. Um, they said, you know, the Mr. Feeney character taught her how to be a person with compassion, and or taught, yeah, it was a woman, uh, and she wants you to know that you were a hero to her growing up, and her as an adult, she still refers to you as a hero. And what do you want to know from me? Oh, no, no, she just wanted you to know that you taught her, that the character Mr. Feeney taught her how to be a person with compassion. Oh, I see. And you're That's very nice to hear. Yeah. yeah, that's very nice to hear. And the other one is uh, G. Pyle Fan 11. You actually inspired them to become a teacher and uh, they're in college now, and they watch old episodes just to get through that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, well, we've heard that before. We've had fan letters from uh, people who have said, you led me into the profession of teaching, or teachers who say, uh, watching you has been meaningful for them, you know. We get lovely uh, fan mail like that every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, I was just mentioning to him that someone is in college now to become a teacher because of Mr. Feeney. Sure, yeah, we so, get a lot of that. I, I think that the, the impact of your character, I feel that has more impact on people than other television characters because it was a relatable role and it was a real, real world role. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, I've, you can't fake this stuff, man. <laughs> like, I have chills now just thinking about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like, I'm so grateful that you did not say no to that role. Oh. Because had you said no, I don't think the series would be exactly what it is. You know, it may have not lasted seven seasons. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So as a, as a little fanboy, I want to say thank you and thank you for going on there thank too. Thank you. Thank oh. you. It's been a good interview. Yeah. I appreciate you guys coming out okay. here today because it's yeah. like I was mentioning before. You get a lot of no's, and then when someone, especially of your caliber, you're both well respected. It, it shows you, hey, you know what, you can do this. Yeah. You can you can do anything. So again, yeah. thank you guys so much. You're uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Boys and girls, how cool was that? William and Bonnie are two of the sweetest, most genuine, most humble people I've ever met in my life, and I am so thankful for them. They showed me that if you have dreams, and you make those dreams your goals, and you take your actions, you can have a hundred no's, but all you need is one yes. Anyway, with that being said, I'm out of here. Peace out, Girl Scout. Oh, and uh, leave us a review. Five stars would be preferred. We wanted to know if you had anything else left to teach us. Believe in yourselves. Dream.
try. Do good. Don't you mean do well? No, I mean do good. Oh, there's a lot more to come. But until then, give us a follow on Twitter at Project Anchor underscore. On Instagram at Project Anchor Pod. And on LinkedIn, Project Anchor.